going to be uh, in the bit tent where uh, we're going live here well for whatever that however live we are at 9 9 15 in the morning so my name is Bill Buford and I'm going to be talking about irregular warfare for the next four hours and we're going to close all the, the openings on the tent lock it down and no one's allowed to leave um, no, my name is Ben Stone. I'm from the website badquaker.com. I do the podcast, uh, Bad Quaker Podcast. Uh, we do have sort of a light audience this morning, and I appreciate every single one of you for, uh, for coming out. This will, of course, be available on YouTube, and I'm recording it as well. So uh, let me just look at my levels. Yeah, that's acceptable. So there will be copies of it uh, at badquaker.com at some point in time and YouTube at some point in time if all happens as we hope they will. I try to never speak about the future in absolute terms because I don't control the future. So I don't want to be caught lying to anybody by saying anything absolute about the future. Uh, one thing, though, I am going to sort of disrobe here a little so that I can see my monitor. Now I can't see you, but... Uh, I'm doing this a little different from most of the speaking that I do. I generally don't uh, adhere to notes. Uh, today I'm going to try my best to stick with my notes because we have a short amount of time and I think a very important thing to cover. Uh, unfortunately, we're not going to do a question and answer at the end. Um, I'm going to be here the rest of the day today and I'll be here all day tomorrow and actually I'll be here till Tuesday. So anybody, just feel free to, uh, to ask me anything they want any other time. But right now we're going to try to push through this. We have somewhat of a three-act play for you today. I'm going to be talking on my topic, which is going to lay out a problem. And then the, the mother of the person who is accused of being the Dread Pirate Roberts from Silk Road is going to be talking directly after me. This is, in a sense, this is the second act of a three-act three drama. She's going to be sort of uh, personalizing this problem. And then coming up, up at, 11, at 10 o'clock, I believe, maybe, 10, 11, is Jeffrey Tucker. And Jeffrey Tucker is going to uh, bring us redemption in the third act. Jeffrey Tucker is going to give us hope for the future. And so I don't know if it was intended by the organizers, but we have essentially a three-act play here. And so welcome to the first act. What I'm going to talk about is liberty is more dangerous than you think. And for my regular audience, it might not be. They may, they may fully understand how dangerous liberty is. Liberty is dangerous to governments around the world. The concepts that we embrace are deadly to governments around the world, and eventually they'll learn that. But liberty is also dangerous to individuals. As we begin to exercise that which is natural to us, we're going to be more and more targets. I'm going to read real quick my outline. This is available at, at uh, 
Porkfest's main website in the in the description of this. So if you've already read it, uh, this is mostly for the folks on YouTube. They'll be seeing this at some point in the future. Outline. The vast majority of people in government are brainlessly doing their jobs without considering the concepts of liberty. For that reason, most government employees, even in the alphabet agencies, don't see libertarianism as a real threat to the parasitic lifestyle that they enjoy. But there are a few parasites that understand our philosophy and they understand the threat that we pose. We should also understand the threat that we pose and we should consider what will happen when more of these parasites catch on to us and understand our message. The libertarians in general, the liberty, you know, we, we often call it a liberty movement. My regular listeners know I don't like that phrase because a movement is something that's temporary, it's fleeting, it's bell-bottoms, it's mullets. Movements, you know, come and go. And what we have, as many of my listeners already know, we have a mission. We have a set goal and we have a path that we're going to take to get there. And we're not going to stop until we make it. It is to us a mission. It is not a fad. It is not a passing tendency in politics. It's not something that's going to get washed under the rug. And it's not something that an individual leader is going to take off for his own glorification. There is, uh, within the Liberty Mission, a split personality. Sort of a an odd... Uh, what is it called when you believe two things that are opposite at the same time? Exactly, yes. Um, we have a tendency to be accused of being foil hat types. We're constantly worried about the NSA spying on us. We're constantly worried about, you know, what are those things flying in the air, spreading whatever that is they're spreading. We, we have some wildly paranoid ideas. We have some ideas and some thoughts that might be really true. We tend to talk about things like 9-11 in ways that maybe other people don't talk about them. Some of us are far more into that than others. But one way or the other, we have this tendency to think that government is out to get us, mostly because it is. And yet at the same time, we have what I call the dirty diaper syndrome. And the dirty diaper syndrome is what happens... I, 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 I fell into understanding this when I saw a conversation between myself and my brother, who's considerably older than me, and my brother's son, where, where my brother's son and, my, and I were attempting to explain to my brother that he was about to make a really stupid choice in his life, and he was about to cost him a lot of money and cause him a lot of grief. And he, he looked at his son, and he said, boy, I've changed your diaper and he looked at me and he said, and I've seen your diaper being changed. You can't tell me what I should and shouldn't do. And this is the dirty diaper syndrome. In the Bible, you know, we're told that a, a prophet is accepted everywhere except in his own village, in the place where he was a child and, they, and he grew up and people saw him get in trouble, saw him get his little butt spanked, saw him with snot dripping on his nose. You cannot have the same level of respect for somebody whose diaper you have changed than somebody who's a stranger who has come to you out of nowhere and who you think, oh, this, this person has some kind of insight I don't know. So there's this dirty diaper syndrome. And we in the liberty movement, uh, the, in the liberty <laughs> mission, have a kind of that. We, we kind of think, 
yeah, we have this we have this paranoid aspect that says, yeah, the government's out to get all of us. Um, but then we find out that one individual, maybe that we know really well, is targeted, and we right away think, well, that guy's probably doing something stupid, or that guy probably did commit that law or, or break that law or whatever. And we don't necessarily think that the government has targeted that person and done some horrible deed. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that where last year uh, I began at Porkfest last year, as all of us were here reveling and having a blast and enjoying the freedoms that we enjoy here, there was a man murdered by the government. His name was Michael Hastings. And I didn't find out about it till I left Porkfest and started catching up on the news. And then I began investigating this, this questionable death. And it took me a while to come to the conclusion that, yes, indeed, Michael Hastings had been murdered. And the more I looked into it, the more obvious it became. And then I started seeing people who were close to Michael Hastings or who were involved in the same work that he was involved in that were also murdered in the same year, in 2013. And before th 2013 was over, there were a, what I believe to be quite a few murders by the government within the U.S., to, if it matters their legal status to U.S. citizens, murdered by the U.S. government on U.S. soil. I investigated seven of those deaths, fairly, as much in depth as I could given the time and resources I had. And I became convinced that there were others as well, but there were at least these seven that I could sit down and I believe even in a court make a logical argument that they had been murdered by elements of the U.S. government. So I want to tell you that the game has changed. Uh, liberty activists can no longer assume that we can fly under the government's radar. An example of that is Bill Bupert and Davi Barker last, uh, what was that, January, February at the Manchester airport. They're walking through security and some half-wit TSA goon sees the little lapel buttons in Davi's uh, baggage and thought they were Bitcoin. And so Davi is distracted, he's held out of the line, he's searched, he, he goes through all this nonsense, Bill Bupert has to be there, suffer all the idiocy that is the TSA, because these people thought that they were seeing something that doesn't exist in the physical realm, and somehow these little magical buttons that Davi had in his bag that didn't even say Bitcoin, they said things like Bitcoin not bombs with a picture of an airplane on it, and yet these halfwits thought that this was Bitcoin. Well, that's stupid of them, but also keep in mind that they're beginning to catch on. They don't necessarily understand what Bitcoin is, but they're beginning to catch on. Um, and what I said at the time, and I've said since, is that if these goons at the TSA had fully understand who they were dealing with, Davi Barker and, um, and Bill Bupert hold a thing in their brain that is far more dangerous than that TSA agent could even imagine. They hold within their brain a philosophy that will kill the state and will destroy the TSA's comfy lifestyle of searching people and harassing people. And if the TSA agent actually understood that, it's not those little shiny things in his baggage that are the danger. It is this humble little man standing in front of you that can kill your lifestyle. And when it dawns on these people, they're going to do something about it. They're not going to sit by passively and let us walk around or walk through airports 
or drive down the freeway or live our little comfortable lives while we are instigating the collapse of everything they depend upon. Ian Freeman and Mark Edge are on over 100 radio stations. I believe the number is actually something like 120-some radio stations that the uh, that Mark Edge and, and Ian, Ian, Freeman's, uh, Ian Freeman's radio show, radio, actual radio, not the Internet, radio, broadcasting out for everybody to hear. The Freedom Fiends are on over... Uh, I've got 20 radio stations in my notes, but I believe it's 24 radio stations, and I believe it's something like 20 cities, something like that. And they're expanding constantly, both of these two radio programs. And this is throwing it out into mainstream for people to hear the message that have never heard it before and have no idea what we're talking about. This thing is like this thing is like the ultimate virus to attack government, and it's loose and it cannot be stopped. Um, and again, I want to emphasize that the game has changed. There's a thing that happens, there's a phenomenon that happens in wartime where the most educated and the most uh, skilled generals end up fighting the last war. They have not adapted to technological changes, they have not adapted to cultural changes, and they end up fighting the last war. And a couple of examples of this is in the so-called American Civil War, where you had brilliant minds like Robert E. Lee and others that were literally the best military minds on the planet at the time fighting the most stupid war that they could fight in the most stupid fashion that they could fight it, costing massive numbers of casualties, destroying lives, causing countless numbers of men to spend the rest of their lives hobbling around on a crutch because they did not adapt to the technology at hand. They were still fighting Napoleonic-style wars where you line up and charge each other, and they were doing that into rapid-fire guns. And it just sliced the men apart, and the generals didn't care. They were fighting the last war. This happened in World War I. It was very obvious. The generals were doing pretty much the same thing. You want to move your men across the line in mass and get them to the, to the trenches on the other side as quickly as possible. So they, all, so they would literally blow whistles, which alerted the enemy, they're coming. They would blow whistles, and on that command, they would all charge out of the trenches and run across no man's land directly into machine gun fire and artillery shells exploding. And the casualty rates were horrific because the generals were fighting the previous war. And this also happened, I could do this in Vietnam, I could do this in World War II, I could do this in Afghanistan today. The brilliant generals are fighting the last war and they have not adopted, they have not adapted, excuse me, to the current warfare. And we have a tendency to do this. We have a tendency to think that the battle is in the Fed or whatever. You can fill in the gap. When in fact, in the Fed, never really scared, the, the real movers and shakers in government never were afraid of, move the, of in the Fed because they knew, okay, we can end the Fed tomorrow, and then we'll just give you something else. When you beg the government, oh, oh, please, I don't like the gruel you're feeding me now. Please feed me a different flavor gruel. Okay, here's a different flavor gruel. Now go back to the, to the, to the salt mines and keep churning out salt. So as much as I agree within the Fed, that's yesterday's battle. It's over. And we have to examine each thing and see if it's today's battle or if it's the last war's battle. 
Bitcoin scares them, partially because they don't understand it yet, and partially because they don't understand it yet, they're not as afraid of it as they will be. And Bitcoin may not be the answer. I'm not 100% sold that Bitcoin is the answer, but the blockchain is the answer. And that's what's going to, to bring down the financial systems, and that's what's going to be a major aspect of bringing down government. Not just in the United States, not just locally or temporarily, but it's going to take out of their hands the ability to control financing. And that's the thing in the last hundred years that the state has used to, to make the kind of leaps and growth that it's made. You take out the, this is anything, gangs, uh, uh, organized crime in the 1920s, anything that you don't want to exist, you remove the funding, it dies, or it, or it, uh, it, it, mutates, it mutates into something else. But the best way to eliminate something in its present form is take away its funding. In the case of the you know, drug gangs, you want to get rid of drug gangs, you want to remove violence from the inner, inner cities, take away their funding. What is their funding? Drug money. Because of the pro, and we all understand this, because of the prohibition on drugs, there's a black market for drugs. Because there's a black market for drugs, the, the worst elements of society make the most amount of money off of it. So if you really are serious about getting, uh, getting rid of crime, we all know this. You get rid of the financing for the crime. And that's in the drug situation, that's the drug war. Crime could be stopped, almost stopped, tomorrow, all, all around the world, if the, if the war on drugs was over. And the government, people in the government are not idiots. Well, some are. But, but there are people in the government who understand this. But the necessity of the, of the drug war is not for to make us safe or not to get drugs off the street. It's to control us. And the same goes with the Federal Reserve. You want to get rid of the gang and government? Sure. It's to, control, it's to get the control of money out of the hands of the crime gang, out of the hands of the government, out of the hands of the big bankers that, that, that hold the strings that control government. And how are we going to do that? By begging the government to change? by begging the government for a different flavor of gruel, or by using the blockchain and that technology to bypass them and make them obsolete, make them the, the, the spokes of a wooden wheel of a wagon in 1925. What do we need them for? We don't need spokes anymore. So we need to start thinking of ourselves. Oh, I wanted to put this one last thing in. We're no longer a fringe movement. We're no longer three or four friends meeting at the Waffle Hut arguing about red lights and stop signs. We are no longer a fringe movement. We are moving into the mainstream. And at some point, those people in government are going to figure this out and they're going to crack themselves because we are the only thing that really out there provides an, a logical option to government. Therefore, we are the only thing that provides an actual threat to government. We need to start thinking of ourselves as a real threat to, the, to statism because we are. The philosophy we hold will alter humanity and destroy the power structure of the elite. If they don't take us seriously, their world will collapse. Many of them do know this. We need to begin to understand how important we are. We have this... We have this uh, dirty diaper syndrome among us. We have grown up together and we have a certain level of disrespect for ourselves because we've all seen ourselves, you know, 
picking our own noses and, and fighting among ourselves over whose toy this is. And we've seen all that and we have a certain disrespect for ourselves, but we need to see ourselves as we really are. To defeat an enemy, you need to know your enemy, but you also need to know yourself. And, and we need to recognize how important this thing of ours is. Every battle, oh, that's what I just said. Every battle is won or lost before the battle is engaged. Uh, if we don't step up and take this challenge seriously, another generation will. Real quick little story. Around 1900, there were anarchists all over the world. It was a very rapidly growing movement. They had a few flaws. They had some, uh, some phil philosophical oddities that needed to be worked out. But they were a worldwide growing movement and they were becoming more and more powerful every day. And they had some really smart people among them. But there was a flaw. They did not have the self-discipline among themselves. Self-discipline among themselves. I'm des definitely not re reading my notes when I say that. They didn't have the self-discipline to clean out the weeds among them. And so you had people who locally were shunned. Like, there's this guy who was accused of, of throwing bombs into a crowded area in Chicago. In the months before that took place, he had been kicked out of one anarchist uh, organization after the other. He, he came out, I believe, I can't remember if it was Philadelphia or Pennsylvania uh, or uh, uh, Pittsburgh, that he was kicked out of the anarchist group there, so he came to Cleveland, Ohio. And they very quickly recognized that he was either an idiot or a plant, one or the other. And so they very quickly kicked him out and they spread flyers all over town that said they had a picture of the guy or they had a description of him. I can't remember. It, it varied from city to city because this same thing repeated in different cities. And it said, don't associate with it, yourself with this man. He advocates violence. He is not where we're going. We do not want anything to do with this man. And so he would be so shunned in, in, in that city, in Cleveland, that he went to Columbus, Ohio. And from Columbus, the, the local anarchists did the same thing, and they kicked him out, and he went to Detroit. And they did the same thing in Detroit, and he, they kicked him out, and he ended up in Chicago. And in Chicago, he threw a bomb, or at least it's alleged that he threw a bomb. Maybe he didn't even do it. Maybe he was set up and didn't even do it. I don't know. I wasn't there. But one way or the other, he got the credit for throwing a bomb into a, crowded, uh, into a crowd, and he got arrested. And the entire movement got a black eye. And a prominent... Uh, anarchist of the day stepped forward in writing and, and defended him. And the entire movement, it didn't matter that city after city had rejected him. The entire movement got a black eye because of that one guy. And oddly enough, and here's a weird thing, so this guy's sitting in a jail cell accused of throwing a bomb into a crowd. And then the official story is that somehow he created a, he was, he wasn't allowed visitors, he was in, in isolation. Somehow he created a bomb in his jail cell and blew himself up. Because at the time, a hundred years ago, anarchists were pictured by the public as having an almost magical capability to make bombs out of anything and constantly throwing bombs at things. This was the public image. There were, there were, uh, there were, there is still in existence silent films from the era that picture, uh, uh, mad bombers, anarchist bombers just throwing bombs at everything. Bombs blowing up all over the place. There were comedy routines made by prominent, uh, silent era stars 
showing you know mad anarchist bombers throwing bombs at everything. Yeah, you never know about those anarchists. They're always just they can make a bomb out of anything. And this nonsense destroyed the anarchist movement. We would not necessarily have to be sitting here talking about this had they watched their P's and Q's. It may have been possible that the Fed would have been killed before its birth. And we wouldn't have to be dealing with any of this nonsense because governments wouldn't have had the funding that they have. If only those anarchists had self-discipline and, and ejected the many people like that that were among them. I spent more time on that than I meant to. I apologize for that. Hopefully I can get the rest of this in. The enemy seeks... Oh. So the point in that, we must know our enemy, but we must know ourselves. There was a situation... Oh, I'm going to go off again. There was a situation at Porkfest where a person came up to a microphone in a question-answer session and said some really bizarre inappropriate things and the speaker was composed and directed himself and and controlled that situation and it was dealt with and it was gone I had the unbelievable urge to confront this person and say who do you know that's here name for me somebody who can vouch for you because I'm convinced that person was a plant and came in specifically to hassle that speaker and I had the unbelievable urge to get right in his face, not be violent, but to get right in his face and demand that he tell me some name of somebody here that can vouch for him because I think he's a plant. Now, there's a certain level of paranoia where we can all turn on each other if we do too much of that. But there's also a certain amount of discipline that we need among ourselves to, to not be associated with these people and not give them unnecessary attention. And had I done that, maybe I would have given him unnecessary attention Maybe the way the speaker handled it is better. I'm not sure. Okay, now I'm really behind. Our enemy seeks to control. Three common ways to control slaves. Fear and intimidation. Fear and intimidation. For example, think of the children. This is fear. Oh, if we don't do this, the children, you know. Okay, another way is the whipping boy method. You take one person and you take them out publicly and you make an example of them. And even if you have to beat them to death or if you beat them near death, you do it to them so that you don't have to do it to the other 500 that are watching. And it's my opinion that's exactly what Michael Hastings was. Michael Hastings was a whipping boy specifically for the mainstream media saying you will be in line or you'll die in a fire. Um, another example is threaten your mother. This is what happened with Barrett Brown. Essentially, Barrett Brown was arrested because he knew people who were hackers. I'm not kidding. Barrett Brown is accused of knowing people who are hackers. And he's, in, he's sitting in jail because of it, essentially. So Barrett Brown gets arrested. Before he got arrested, he had gone over to his mom's house and put his laptop into a cupboard at her house. They get a search warrant, search her house, find the laptop in her house, arrest her for hiding evidence and obstruction of justice. Now they've got her in jail. They sit Barrett Brown down and they say, look, buddy, you're going to cooperate with us or your mother is going to do hard time in a federal penitentiary. And then they go on to explain exactly what's going to happen to her in that federal penitentiary. Now, what would I do? What would you do? I don't know what Barrett Brown's going to end up doing. He's already in the process of taking a plea bargain. I can't, I can't condemn him for that because... 
I don't know what I would do. <clears throat> okay, so number one is fear and intimidation. This is how they control. Number two, ignorance is bliss. As long as the public doesn't have to be directly confronted with the, with the cop at his door, he doesn't think about the cop. He's ignorant to it, and he's happy. As long as he can turn on the TV and he can watch race cars looping around in a circle or he can watch football players bashing into each other or he can watch a sitcom where everything is good in the end, as long as he can spend all of his energy and his mental efforts with that, he doesn't have to think about what's being done to him. So ignorance is bliss. And the third way that they seek to control is by buying us off. They'll give you a cushy government job, or they'll give you welfare, or they'll give you something else to get you dependent upon them, and then you're bought off. Now, I'm not saying don't take a government job. I've said for a long time, take every penny you can get from them. Squeeze them, rob them, take any money that you can get from the government, because they're just going to kill people with it anyway. And then they're going to make more. There's, no, there's, not like, there's not like a limited amount. They can make as much as it takes, so as much as you can get out of them, and put back into useful and peaceful processes. Get it, take it any way you can. It's not like they own it anyway. Um, now those who can't can be controlled, those are the primary methods I said, the three there, fear and intimidation, ignorance is bliss, and buy them off. Those who cannot be controlled, which is including a lot of us, those who can't be controlled or silenced, they will cage and isolate them, that's a silencing procedure. Chelsea Manning, Barrett Brown, Roger Schuler down in Alabama. The guy was blogging, saying stuff about the governor of Alabama. They literally snatched him up, shoved him into a cell with a restraining order, I mean with a, with a gag order, so that he couldn't talk to, to the media, kept him in isolation because he was saying bad things about the governor. And it took forever to try to get any attention to what he was doing. This is just some, literally, it's just some old guy in Alabama complaining about the governor. And they snatch him up and off he goes. Discredit them. Comment, this is the second one. Discredit them. Commonly, they will try to discredit somebody with allegations of insanity or allegations of some sexual thing, if they can tie something like that into you, if they can snatch up your laptop, take it away to their laboratory, and then claim they found child pornography on it, they've got you. Everybody in your group is going to abandon you because, because the government found child pornography on your computer. It doesn't matter if it was really there or not. People have been cultured so that we will reject that person and assume they were guilty. And this is, not, this is not just something I'm pulling out of the air. This is something they tend to like to do to their own. If they've got some county commissioner or if they've got some mayor or if they've got some prosecutor that they can't control, out of nowhere, his laptop will be confiscated. And, and what do you know? Look at that. He's got child pornography on his computer. And that's it. He's out. And the third thing, if they can't control you or silence you through discrediting or through isolation and caging or the other methods that I mentioned, they will kill you. And it doesn't matter if you're so famous like you're Alex Jones or if you're completely unknown. If they have the opportunity and, they, and, and you fit a certain criteria, they will kill you. Now, I want to emphasize that uh, individuals cr commit crimes. As much as we like to just say government, it's individuals committing these crimes. 
It is individual murderers acting on behalf of the government, but it is individuals killing. Now, I want to compare the way government kills to the way mafia kills, because I know how mafia kills, and many of us, you know, this is one thing Hollywood has kind of got correct. Um, we, we, it's not hard to find out how the mafia kills people. So there are three primary ways that you can get killed by the mafia. Number one, there is the snap decision. You are just a nobody. You're in a donut shop selling donuts. And somehow you anger the wrong guy. And he is having a bad day that day. And it just so happens that you're dealing with a very dangerous mobster. And he knows you're nobody. You're just a donut guy. And you're the only ones in the shop. And you just pissed him off. And he pops you on the spot, takes his donuts, and walks out. Sometimes it's that simple. The problem with that is his bosses never like that because it has the potential of bringing attention to their organization. And it's dirty and it's messy and it's useless and it's bad for business. But it happens. Now, an aspect of this also that takes place is when you have more than one of these goons in the donut shop in question. Once one begins to act, the others dogpile. Now, that may mean that they join in on the killing, or it may mean that they secure the perimeter of the area and make sure that they can get out properly before anybody shows up. They may keep people out while the beating takes place before the shooting. One way or the other, there's this dogpile effect if there's more than one goon, uh, mafia goon, involved. And then they'll lie for each other and cover it. But again, the bosses don't really like this because it's bad for business and it brings unnecessary attention to their criminal activities. And the, the second way that you can die at the hands of the mafia is that you bring, bring attention to yourself so that a capo or a captain knows about you and sees you as some kind of a problem. Now, in a situation like this, what a mafia boss will do, a, a capo, he will have a discussion with two or three guys, and he'll say, this guy's a problem. He won't directly say, kill this guy. He won't do that. He'll say this guy's a problem. He'll say you need to check him out. See what you can do. And if they can come and visit you and persuade you to do whatever it is that they want you to do or stop doing whatever it is they don't want you to do, if they can do that without killing you, they prefer that. But if during this conversation, we're calling it very, very mildly a conversation, if during this conversation anything goes wrong, the snap decision takes place, the dog pile takes place, but now it's covered by the captain saying, go talk to him, see what you can do, try to settle this. And if sometimes things happen and sometimes things get out of control, okay, now we just have a body to get rid of. It's not a big deal. The third way that you can get killed by the mafia is if, ma is if mafia bosses from multiple organizations, multiple families or multiple crews or multiple whatever bosses get together and they say, this guy is a problem. He's an ongoing problem. We've tried to deal with him. We can't deal with him. We need to make this problem disappear. Now, when that happens, there's no discussion. You're dead. You can move to a different city. Eventually, you're dead. You can try to get out of the country. They'll watch for you. Eventually, you're dead. If they come together, if bosses come together and decide that you're dead, then it's just a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. That's the way the mafia works. That's exactly the way the government works. 
That is precisely the methods of the government because there is no difference. It's just one crime gang is currently in charge of this geographic region and the other crime gang is not quite in charge now, but the mafia has its origins as the government of Sicily. At one time, it was the government of Sicily. So it is a government. It is a deposed government. That's what the mafia is. And that's why it acts exactly like government. Government doesn't act like the mafia. Mafia acts like the government because it formerly was a government. So what do we know about how government goons act? Well, it's pretty much the same. If you look at YouTube, you don't have to read, you don't have to watch a lot of YouTube to see this dogpile and this snap decision and the dogpile mentality. The cop is talking to somebody. There's two or three other cops that are standing around just, you know, looking like thugs. And something goes wrong. Somebody says the wrong thing to that cop, doesn't show him the right respect. Whatever the excuse is, a snap decision happens in that cop's mind and he does something really stupid. He reaches for his taser and instead grabs his gun and shoots the guy or, or, or whatever. We've seen all of these YouTube videos where seemingly everything is fine and then for no logical reason the cop just goes and kills somebody or starts beating out somebody. And what do the other cops do? Do they pull their guns on that cop and stop him and arrest him? Or, or No! They jump in and help. They dogpile. Or they'll surround, they'll make a perimeter and they'll keep people back and they'll start grabbing cameras and grabbing phones. They act exactly like the goons because they are. Uh, two quick examples as I'm running out of time. Maybe I'd better not. You know, I don't have to. Okay, so one lady's in her car. The cops are mad at her. She's got a baby in the back seat in a car seat. They stop her car. Her car cannot get away. She's unarmed. They take the baby out of the back seat, and in the process, one of the cops literally puts a gun to the back of her head, blows her brains out. She's unarmed. It happened in Washington, D.C. in 2013. Another thing, 2013, Timothy Russell and his passenger, oh, her name was um, Miriam Carey in, in 2013. Timothy Russell and his passenger, Melissa Williams, the cops thought they heard a gunshot. Turns out there was never a gunshot. But the cops, one cop thought he heard a gunshot. And so he makes a snap decision and all the others dogpile and they go in, they start chasing this car. The car doesn't know what's going on. The people in the car don't know what's going on. They pull over eventually. There is a chase, but they pull over eventually. Don't have any idea of why this is happening to them. They are blocked in. They can't pull forward. They can't pull back. They're sitting in the car. A cop literally jumps up on the hood of their car fires down through their windshield, executing both of them. Uh, Timothy Russell was shot 23 times. Melissa Williams was shot 24 times. Neither was armed. Remember, there was no initial shot to start this all. That was, that was myth. And it was all because of snap decision and dogpile. And then they lie and they make up reasons why it's okay that they did that. The, the bosses don't like that kind of violence. It's bad for business. It's bad for the organization. It brings them unnecessary attention. Sometimes they'll even smack those guys' wrists. At times they'll even fire them. That doesn't change the fact that it is a criminal organization based upon violence and aggression and intimidation and ultimately murder. Um, okay, let's see. So that's the snap decision and dog pile, and it is the nature of cops. Uh, next we have the capo's orders, the captain's orders. So the captain says to a small group of men, go into this house, search around, see what you can find, see if there's any illegal substances or illegal devices or whatever. 
So they go in in uniforms, they go in with body armor, they go in with automatic rifles, and as long as you don't resist, and as long as you bow to their greatness and you do everything you're supposed to say, they may not kill you. They may only kill your dog or your cat. They may let you live. But anybody who does anything wrong is apt to get shot at point-blank range with an automatic rifle. This, And then they say, well, that's business. That's how it goes. Hey, they did everything how they were trained, so we're good. Everything's fine. This is the capo making the decision, the captain. He didn't actually kill anybody, but he sent the killers out and they did the deed. And if everybody would have cooperated, only the pet would have got killed. But these things happen. What are you going to do? Okay, um, and then there's the family bosses. Family bosses have a sit-down. That's in the mafia. In the government... The bosses have a sit-down, and they say at coordinates, blah, 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 at this particular time we have a subject, and he may be in this tent, or he may be in this mud hut, and we think he might be associated with so-and-so. If we spot him in, in our cameras, take him out. And the drone hovers over, and the decision has already been made. That guy's dead. It doesn't matter if it's going to take a, a day or a week or a month. It doesn't matter what country he runs to. It doesn't matter where he hides. It doesn't matter if he's surrounded by children when they find him. The man is dead because the bosses said so. The families agreed. The people in Washington, the bosses, had a sit-down. They talked about his name. They looked at his picture, and he's dead. He has no chance. That's the way government works. The difference here between government and mafia... The Mafia attempts to do everything clandestine, everything under cover of darkness or under cover with no publicity, whereas the government feels free to do these things right out in the open and nobody's going to do anything about it. But there is within the government also the tendency to do things undercover and to do things without being seen because as horrendous as everything I've just described is, the government kills quietly like the mafia, without telling anybody. And they'll pick off individuals in the donut shop that don't matter, and they will target them, and they will pop them. And they will, tick, they will pick off individual politicians who are working their way up, who they know they can't control, who, who they decide are going to be a threat, and they take them out. And they might take them out through way of finding something on their laptop or whatever, but all that's clandestine until the time that it comes. And then the dead body is evidence that, it's, that the deed is done. Um, I was going to talk about the two Las Vegas cop block, cop block members that were mysteriously struck, and one of them hurt very seriously. The other was, is in better shape. And in all likelihood, it was a former Las Vegas cop who did the hit and run. Two different locations, two different nights, two different cop block people were targeted and taken out as an example to the rest of the cop block. This was done not like the cops normally do their operations. This was done under the table. This was done, hey, Bill, you know, and I'm, I don't know if the guy's name's Bill. I'm making that up. So no uh, legal action is necessary. But, uh, you know, it's like, Bill, this guy's a problem. Can you do something about it? I got it covered. That's how they work. It's all undercover, just like the mafia, except it's cops. But this happens at a higher level, too. There are other, other methods and circumstances. For instance, I urge you not to Google pol Polonium 210, 210, 
polonium-210. It is a common uh, method that governments all around the world use to poison a person. Um, it is a slow, painful death. If you could, I would say, ask Yasser Arafat. They used his toothpaste and killed him. And now there's evidence building that that crazy tinfoil hat rumor is actually true. They killed Yasser Arafat, Yasser Arafat by putting radioactive material in his toothpaste and slowly killed him. What? A, what? Who would think of such a thing to do that to? I don't care how bad you hate somebody. If you hate them, you know, I, I can almost understand how somebody, somebody in government would want to kill somebody like Yasser Arafat, but that's cruel. That's mean. That's Nazi-like. Um, also, there is the famous Bulgarian umbrella. And this is not just an event and an object that took place. It is a method. Uh, it, it is the delivering of ricin, of the poison ricin, in a very controlled way so that the person is infected with the ricin. And then it takes a few days. It's very painful. It's a horrible way to die. But it takes a few days. So in essence, you're still punishing the guy. You're going to kill him just as dead as Yasser Arafat. But you're going to do it a little quicker, and he's still going to uh, have a lot of pain. But both these methods are slow, slow poisons. There are at least two poisons that the government has admitted to using that induce uh, heart attacks. In um, one, one acts very quickly. I'm running out of time, so I've got to get to this really quick. One acts very quickly, and if you were around, you could ask Andrew Breitbart. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe all the circumstances involving Andrew Breitbart are all tinfoil hat stuff. Like, for instance, the first guy that got to him was a trained EMT and said that his death did not in any way look like a heart attack. And this is a guy who'd seen heart attacks and would know. But we can't ask that guy because nobody knows where he's at. He has been disappeared. He is gone. Nobody knows where he's at. Now, one of the coroners that was working in the autopsy of Andrew Breitbart who was doing the filming of the autopsy, made statements that there were some unusual things about this that people didn't know. And oddly enough, he was killed in his apartment by rat, by rat poison. A horrific way to die. And the LAPD admits that it was, that he was murdered and it was rat poison. And they also admit that they are not investigating. Shocking. They're not investigating the death of their own coroner who they know was murdered. So maybe Andrew Breitbart wasn't killed. Maybe the government is good. I don't know. I'm giving you a false dichotomy. But anyway, the, the other poison that they use for heart attacks works very slowly. It, uh, it causes heart failure very, very slowly. It causes the person's body, the heart Andrew Breitbart had a previous heart situation, so nobody doubts it. Yeah, he had a heart attack. Yeah, he was drinking, he was overweight, he's old, he had previous heart problems. It can't be, it can't be a drug. It's a heart attack. But if they want to kill somebody who's young and healthy, it's a little obvious when they do it that way, which actually they've still done it that way. I could name a few names here from last year. But the other method that they use, and, this, and I have documentation of them using this method, is they give you a drug that doesn't affect your heart, it just causes you to start retaining water and swelling in your torso. 
and eventually it crushes your heart. You die of heart disease, and it looks like, oh yeah, they had heart disease. Well, they just lost the, the, the genetic lottery, and that's how it goes sometimes. Sometimes a 25-year-old hacker that's working on some very important things just dies of a heart attack, and it happens. So, you know, well, let's move on. The thing with the second drug, the slow-acting one that causes heart failure, is that because the chemical is, is, is introduced and then the death takes place two to three months later, the chemical has worked its way completely out of the body and is untraceable. Well, no, that's not right. You can take fingernail samples and you can take hair samples and prove that the person was exposed. But they typically don't do that with an autopsy. Now, with the other drug that kills quickly, it actually does leave a residue, but you have to look specifically for that drug to find it. It's not normally looked for by uh, in an autopsy. Um, okay, so I am literally a couple minutes past time, bleeding over into the next. Uh, one quick thing, if you're not sure about whether or not the government can give heart attacks, the Church Commission was in the 1970s investigating the Nixon administration and, and investigating illegal um, uh, information gathering by the government. And they had CIA testimony at the Church Commission, and the CIA representative said, yes, indeed, we do kill with heart attacks. Here is the gun we use to shoot the dart that, that we deliver the poison with. And senators literally passed her, their pictures on the Internet of the senators passing around this gun that shot the dart. So this is not wild, crazy stuff. That was in the 70s. What can they do now? What will they do now? Do the, is the government we have now better than the one in the 70s? I don't think so. Okay, I'm losing my mic, and I'm two minutes past when I was supposed to, so let me just wrap this up with a line, if I can get to it quick enough here. I was going to talk about Facebook, and I was going to talk about how they use that to spot individuals, um, but I don't have time. I was going to talk about Mark Zuckerberg, but I don't have time. I have extensive notes, and hopefully I'll do podcasts on this topic and finish the notes. And unfortunately, we don't have time to do a question and answer. Let me read this real quick. Seven names. Philip Marshall, Andrew Breitbart, Michael Hastings, Hastings with an S. Uh, that Wesley Clark, insider Wesley Clark, practically admitted to the death on Fox News the same day that it took place. Uh, Barnaby Jack. Aaron Schwartz and Miriam Carey are seven deaths that I personally investigated last year with as much time and resources as I could put into them, and I'm convinced that those seven people were murdered. And Miriam Carey is probably someone you never heard of. She was not a hacker. She was just a mom that bumped into some information. Folks, thank you very much, and uh, enjoy Cook Fest. <laughs>